Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sidi, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Today on the show, we have Kiran Krishnan. Kiran is a research microbiologist and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the past 18 years. He comes from a university research background, having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. Kiran established a clinical research organization where he designed and conducted dozens of human clinical trials in human nutrition. Kiran is also a co-founder and partner in New Science Trading. I'm so excited to talk to, uh, to Kiran today. So let's just get into the show and listen to our interview. Hi, Kiran. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, resource that you are, the amount of information that you have, I'm so excited to bring all of that um, to our listeners. You know, one of the one of the areas that, that you really work in and you've done so much research in is just looking in to the microbiome, right? And, and this is a yep. platform that we're trying to increase awareness about that um, for from a children, child's health perspective. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to start off by asking you, what is a child's microbiome? And what are we looking at when we talk about that? Yeah, so in the broadest sense, the microbiome is all of the collection of organisms and um, that that exists in and on the host, right? And we are, of course, the hosts, but it goes beyond the organisms as well. It's all of their genetic elements. And so all of the genes that the organisms house for us within our system. And when I say organisms, I mean uh, bacteria, viruses, fungi, protozoa, all of these microorganisms, as people would know them. Um, and And it may be surprising for a lot of people to to learn that the microorganisms outweigh us in terms of number of cells in our body, right? So we actually have more microorganism cells in our body than human cells. And and perhaps more importantly, um, their genetic elements outweigh our own genes almost 150 to one, right? So we've got somewhere around 22, 23,000 functional genes um, but we've got over two and a half, three million functional microbial genes, uh, which means that those functions, so many of the functions of being human are coded for by microbes and the genes that they house within our system. So some estimates are that over 80, 90% of metabolic activity in the human body comes from microbes and all of their genetic elements. So it's a mix of the genes that they provide to us in order for us to make proteins and things that we need, then also the direct impact that they have on influencing our immune system, protecting the ecosystem, metabolizing food, breaking it down, changing it into really important uh, nutrients. All of these functions are, are conducted by and coded for by the microbes. There are Um, many, many critical functions in the body, especially in that of a child, Um, an immature child with an immature immune system, a highly rapidly developing brain, you know, this huge caloric need, um, this rapidly changing body. There are so many functions 
that the child cannot do for his or herself, but counts on microbes in their system in order to conduct those functions. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so important. It's so closely um, connected, just the way how um, our, our children's health functions on a day to day. So and, and even before they're born, so while they're in utero, um, even even from that standpoint, there's such a close connection with the way how their health will develop, right? Um, how so how can mothers while they're pregnant, how can they start to develop um, their, their, their microbiome so that it can have a positive effect on their child's um, future health? Yeah, so, you know, if you think about a child's microbiome, where does it come from, right? It comes predominantly from mom and then also from dad and close relatives and close interaction with the, with the child's family. And then in a larger part, the community, the household, and so on. There are microbes that that child will pick up everywhere throughout his or her life, especially in the early stages after being born. Now, while the child is in utero inside the mom and growing and developing, there's a lot about the mom's microbiome that determines how the child actually develops, right? There is a huge factor of impact within the child's development capability that, that is dictated by mom's microbiome. Studies have shown that, that women who have dysfunctional microbiomes and thereby having lots of chronic inflammation, for example, during gestation will impact the development of the child's brain, for example, right? Um, and studies have been done on animals and then uh, follow-up studies have been looked at in, in humans as well. So when you look at developmental disorders, autism spectrum disorders, attention deficit disorders, a lot of those kind of disorders start in utero, start with a compromised neurological or brain development in utero and a major driver of that compromise is mom's microbiome and how healthy mom is, right? So that's one part of it, how stressed mom is, how well is she digesting and absorbing the nutrients that she's eating? Because of course, those nutrients are the ones that make it to the child. What does mom's uh, immune system look like, right? Is she very inflammatory? Is she able to deal with pathogens and viruses and all these things that she comes across? All of those things impact what's happening in the developing child in utero. Uh, and of course, then dad and other family members' uh, microbiomes around mom will influence hers. Right? So it becomes a, a community family affair for everybody to have a positive impact on each other's mi microbiome so that the developing child has the best scenario and situation under which to develop uh, you know, to, to his or her full, full capabilities. Now, once a child is born, the vast majority of the microbiome initially comes through the birthing process, assuming that the child uh, is naturally delivered right through the vaginal canal. Um, of course, in the U.S., I don't know what it is in, in the Middle East or UAE, but in the U.S., somewhere around 30, 33 percent of all uh, births are still C-section, right, which has a huge impact on the child's development. And we'll talk about that in a second, the evidence that modulating the microbiome early on has a lot of long term impact. So assuming the child is born to the birth canal, uh, he or she gets huge exposure to mom's microbiome through the vaginal canal, and then even through defecation, because a lot of times women, while they're giving birth, will defecate, the child's going to get exposed to that defecation. And that actually turns out to be really important because one of the key bacteria for the early stages of development right after the child is born is bifidobacteria. And bifidobacteria is found in large part in stool. And so that early exposure to mom's stool and defecation is also really important 
for starting to gear up the child's microbiome, right? Now, if mom is passing on a dysfunctional microbiome to the child, that child is going to have a significant amount of issues long-term, even as far as things like the child's fertility can be impacted by mom's uh, dysbiotic gut, right? The immune response, asthma, allergies, weight gain, all of these things, neurological development, all of these things can be impacted by mom's microbiome. So not only is it is mom's microbiome important during gestation, but during the birthing process and the early exposure to microbes that the child experiences. And that has long-term consequences, right? What happens during that 10-month period of gestation, what happens within the first year of that child's birth will actually have long-term implications. It'll impact that child when, when he or she's 30, 40, 50, 60 years old later on down the line. Yeah, and it's really a game changer to think of it this way, right? Um, mm -hmm. of, of the amount of importance we need to put into mom's gut health before she even conceives the baby. So making sure that we're thinking about those things ahead of time. Um, and, and I know that the research is out there now, the information is there. How can moms start to look at their gut health before they even conceive? Yeah, I think one of the really important things moms need to look at is, um, you know, do they have leaky gut, right? Leaky gut is a major issue. It's, it's in a 2015 publication in the Frontiers of Immunology where they looked at uh, meta-analysis, which is a review of all the research available on the topic, right? They looked at a meta-analysis on all of this literature on chronic low-grade inflammation, which is a major underlying driver of chronic illness. They, they concluded that leakiness in the gut, intestinal permeability, is the number one cause of mortality and morbidity worldwide, right? Because it's the biggest driver of chronic illness. So if mom's gut is leaky to begin with, then she's already starting off on the wrong foot because now she's got a very inflammatory um, condition. She's got uh, an inflammatory condition that certainly once a child starts developing in her will impact that child's um, ability to develop uh, properly and, and then the child's long-term outcomes. So the first thing mom should look at is leakiness in the gut. The second thing is how diverse is her microbiome because she's of course, passing on those organisms to a child. So you want to pass on a very diverse set of microbes. Um, a few factors that impacts mom's diversity. Number one, has she been using, uh, you know, antibiotics, over-the-counter medications a lot? Um, these things can have a impact on mom's diversity. What does her diet look like? You know, how diverse is her diet? Or has she now started to consume a very narrow diet where she's only eating eight, nine foods? Um, those types of things will have a huge impact on her diversity. What is her stress level? right? Stress, like um, outside exogenous stress that, you know, from whether it's your work or your family life or, you know, whatever it may be financial, those stressors will actually change your microbiome. Whenever you're experiencing stress and you get that enhanced feeling of cortisol and your, your circulation increases and your, your vessels dilate, that feeling is the same feeling that the microbes can sense at a biochemical level, and it enhances the growth of pathogenic organisms within the gut. 
right? So the more stress you're going through on a regular basis, the more dysfunctional your microbiome becomes. What does mom's immune system look like, right? Does she get sick quite often? Does she get uh, a cold or a flu two, three times a year? How often is she not feeling well throughout the year? You know, or is she doing pretty well? Is she getting outside, outdoor? Uh, being outdoors is a really, really important aspect of rearing your microbiome. And then the other part of it is what is her household and, and uh, ecosystem looks like, right? Well, how many, um, what do the family members health look like? Because other people in the household are going to influence her microbiome, which will then influence the child's development and microbiome itself. So you know, does she have healthy people around her? Are they, um, you know, are they focused on wellness or are they eating just really poor food? Are they smoking, drinking all the time, whatever it may be, right? That environment has to be healthier. And all of that has a significant and measurable impact on not only mom, but then of course, baby as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to think of it like that. Something that we haven't even really put a lot of you know, time and effort into thinking about ahead of time. When we go to gynecologists, you know, when, when moms are when they've conceived or right after. Um, and this is not even something that is considered or that they're even told to look at. Um, and I right. feel like it's, it's a, such a big disservice to, to our children. And that's probably one of the reasons why we're seeing such increased levels of chronic conditions in children um, and earlier mm -hmm. on. So, so we're literally having children that are being born with, um, with, just these imbalanced gut bacteria, right? So their microbiome yep. is already um, in disarray for lack of a better word. So what can we do now? So now the baby's here, right? Mm -hmm. and, and most likely they have, they, they lack the, the diversity that we want in, in their microbiome. What should parents do? Yeah. So there's a, there's a number of things you can do. Now, that's the good news about all of this, right? That when your microbiome is disrupted, and, and the word that we use is called dysbiosis, if people aren't familiar with that word, but when your microbiome is imbalanced or disrupted, meaning you tend to have more opportunistic or pathogenic organisms than really beneficial organisms, that's going to be a major, major driver of chronic illness starting from being a baby all the way through adulthood. Um, and in fact, arguably, it's the most powerful driver of disease. Now, at the same time, it is an ecosystem, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mini ecosystem, which means you can change it. It's not like a genetic defect where you cannot go back and change your genes. It's an ecological problem, so you can make a difference. And that's the exciting part of it, um, is that we have a lot more power and we have a lot more control of our outcomes, our kids' outcomes, than we think. We just have to understand and have the knowledge of what to be able to do, right? So let's talk about some of those things you can do. Let's say your baby's born and let's go the extreme. Let's say the baby was a C-section birth. Right. And so now the baby hasn't even been able to pass through the vaginal canal. So the baby's already starting off with a disadvantage because studies show that C-section babies tend to have a much higher incidence rate of asthma, allergies, viral infections, obesity, developmental issues. The list goes on and on. So let's say it's a C-section baby. And let's say even worse, during pregnant, during gestation, uh, sorry, during delivery, mom had to undergo I, I, antibiotic therapy because of group B strep positive or something like that, right? And then let's say the baby's not even nursing all that well, 
you're trying to nurse, but you're not nursing, but the baby's not eating as much from nursing or mom's not producing enough milk. What can we do? That's, you know, uh, barring any really severe health issues for the baby, this is one of the worst scenarios for the microbiome of the baby. So what can you do at this point? Well, step one, as much as you can nurse, you should nurse, right? If the baby's 10 months old and you've been nursing all this time, but you're really not producing much, every little bit will help because mother's milk contains over 200 different types of prebiotic oligosaccharides that are really important to try to feed and seed the right type of microbes in that baby's gut, right? So even if it's just a half a bottle worth, even if it's a quarter of a bottle worth, and, and you on top of that, you have to supplement with, um, with other things, right? You have to supplement with um, you know, the, the, the mother, the milk and, and uh, solid foods after six months and so on, perfectly fine. Just get as much of mother's milk in the baby as you can, because the other thing that mother's milk contain is upwards of 600 different types of microbes, right? So if the baby didn't get a huge exposure to, the, to mom's microbes moving through the birth canal, you're going to want to try to, uh, to expose the baby through breast milk. That's going to be really important, right? So beyond that, then the next thing you can focus on is skin to skin contact with the baby, right? So having that, you know, bare skin to skin contact, having the baby laying on your chest, having the baby laying on your stomach, you know, all of the kissing and affection and all that, that we do, which is automatic. We do it instinctually is actually really good way of sharing microbes with the baby, right? And that's equally important for dad as well. Right. I know in, in the U.S., it's it, one of the great things that I know when we had our babies, um, they pushed in the hospital for dad to do skin to skin as well. That may seem counterintuitive, right, because mom's nursing. She's going to be naturally skin to skin to some degree. But it's important for dad to have that contact with the baby as well, because you're going to be sharing these beneficial microbes with the child. So that's another way of gaining exposure for the child. Another thing would be um, earlier on, even at six, seven, eight months, having the child go out into natural environments, right? We, uh, one of the things I focus on a lot when our babies were born is going through, going on hikes, going for walks in natural areas, um, you know, in, in, the, um, in the Middle East, in the in UAE area, you've got lots of awesome desert and desert trails and beaches and all that, depending on where you are, all of those areas contain lots of beneficial microbes that are really going to help the baby's gut overall, right? And then uh, after six months, once the baby starts eating solid food, you want to try to start expanding the diversity of the baby's foods, right? Focusing on foods that have a lot of resistant starches and, and, and fibrous type of co components. So like sweet potato, for example, right? That has a resistant starch and good prebiotics in it. Those things can really feed the right bacteria within baby's gut. That's really important. And of course, try to stay away as much as you can can for the first year and a half or two, at least uh, from processed foods, right? So the processed chips and little snacks and things that are so easy and convenient. So it's easy to reach for, it's easy to do, it's easy to throw those in the diaper bag or have in the kitchen. Those things, especially if your baby was born C-section, had antibiotic exposure, any of that, 
that can be a very big compromise to the baby's gut microbiome, right? So that, that, that's another thing to keep in mind as well. Um, the microbiome of the family is really important. Studies show that everybody within the same household tend to share similar microbiomes. If somebody's microbiome in the family is disrupted, let's say by antibiotics or lifestyle factors, that can negatively influence other people in the home as well. So it becomes really important that we have a family-centric view on improving our ecosystem in our household, right? It impacts everybody in the household. And if you have a developing baby, that's going to have the, the baby's going to have the biggest uh, impact on, on him or her. So those are some of the things you can start thinking about. And one of the ways to impact uh, the microbiome of the family is, again, the family should start looking at increasing the diversity in their diet. The family should make it a family affair to go out and be outdoors. Um, one of the really easy things is to get a dog. You know, I don't know if, if uh, having dogs is popular in, in, uh, in UAE and so on. Studies show that households with dogs, dogs that go out and go for walks and stuff and come back in, those, those having that dog can have a huge impact on the child's microbiome. Kids who live in households with dogs have a lower incidence rates of allergies, asthma, and, and even viral infections, right? And in fact, in 2020, early 2020, a study came out showing that bringing a dog into your household actually increases your longevity. Um, and a lot of that is through impacting your microbiome, right? So those are really important factors. And one more important factor you can think about um, now that you have your uh, two more important factors, I would say one is to not have to sterilize your home right? You don't need to sterilize all the contact surfaces. We've all been programmed to think that clean means that bleachy chemical smell, right? And, and people do that all the time. But the vast majority of surfaces in your home do not need to be sterilized. And in fact, studies show that households that use chlorine-based cleaners and sterilize their home actually have kids with higher incidence rates of asthma and allergies. So it impacts their immune system and their microbiome in a dramatic way. And then, of course, the last thing is using a really good probiotic. You know, probiotics, if they're formulated well, if they're well studied, are there to help assist the microbiome in modulating itself. The microbes within the system can help bring back balance. The microbes within the system will seal up the tight junctions if your gut is leaky. The microbes in the system will help break down food and assimilate the nutrients and convert them into really important byproducts. But uh, a good probiotic can facilitate and make all of that happen. We, of course, work with the spore-based probiotics, Megaspore, um, and those are the types of organisms that can really make a change in the gut microbiome. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up um, probiotics. And it's, it's something that when you talk to a lot of um, people, because there's more and more awareness about them, they're eating probiotics. But mm -hmm. it, it's, it's something that might not be so they're not really thinking through what they're eating, what kind of probiotics, what kind of strains they are, whether they're making their way through and staying alive in, mm -hmm. in our, you know, the, the gut environment, or whether it is even tailored to whatever conditions that we might be going through or our children might be going through. So can you talk a little bit about that and how mm -hmm. can people make the right choices? Yeah, you know, when, when I first started in this space as a microbiologist, um, I looked at probiotics from the microbe perspective, right? Trying to understand, uh, are the microbes that we're using in the vast majority of probiotics, are they really useful and beneficial? Can they do 
what we think they're doing. Can they have the capability, right? It's, um, that's a fundamental question. And, and what I came to find out from the studies and testing that we did, and then looking at other studies out there, that the vast majority of probiotics that people have access to don't do anything right? Most of them die in the stomach. The stomach is designed physiologically to kill bacteria, right? It's called the gastric barrier for that reason. It's got a very low pH, which means it's very acidic. And then once you get past the stomach, there's something called bile acid, which is in the small intestine, which also kills bacteria. So there's a lot of things that the bacteria have to make it, make it through in order to actually function as a probiotic. And the vast majority of probiotics people have access to just cannot survive those steps, right? You have things out there that companies have come up with that are completely nonsensical. For example, you have probiotics that companies claim are wrapped in seaweed or some very special capsules and all of this kind of hogwash, when at the end of the day, they haven't done any studies on these products to show that they do anything in the system. So I would, I would say to people that the vast majority of probiotics you have access to that you can just walk into a store and buy will not do anything into, in your system, right? You're just gonna be defecating them out eight hours, 10 hours later as dead bacteria moving through. We always, in the US, we sell all our products through health practitioners, right? The qualified people who have the ability to vet and understand the difference between a scientifically validated product and the vast majority of just marketing nonsense products. And so we sell all our products only through health practitioners. We don't sell it in retail. We don't sell it on the shelf anywhere because we think that people should be looking to a health practitioner to get their products because it's hard for an average consumer to understand the science and the information behind these things to try to discern what's a good product and what's not. And so, you know, my first recommendation to people to understand what would be a beneficial probiotic is talk to somebody who's an expert in this area, like yourself, right? You, this is the area you study and you spend all your time on and you look at the research, you look at the science. So if you are recommending something, then that's far better than walking to a store and just picking a product off the shelf, right? Because everything you see on the shelf is driven by marketing languaging, not science, Right. And again, the vast majority of probiotics, 98% of probiotics we tested don't even make it past the stomach. So, so forego all of that. You're wasting your money on that. Work with somebody who's really focusing in this field and, and work with what they recommend because they're looking at the research. Like for us, for example, with Megaspore, we have now, I think, published 10 studies on the probiotic uh, in different areas, all of these different areas that it functions, right? Compare that to your average probiotic on the market that has zero studies, right? We have 10 times more science uh, and proof that the product goes in there into your system, does all of these beneficial things and will make an impact than your typical probiotics that you find. But for a consumer to understand that on their own, it's really difficult. You can understand that because this is what you specialize in, right? So we always encourage people to get their products through uh, a health practitioner or someone who's an expert in the field. Yeah. And I think it's also uh, important to give them some guidelines of, you know, what kind of probiotics they're eating. Um, there's so many different types that are on the market with different strains written. There's like a different number for each and every one of them. Like somebody will sell you like millions of bacteria and then others will have like billions of bacteria. And mm -hmm. there's just so much noise in this, in this, field um i feel like it's it's important to 
give people some guidelines. So when we talk about like, so for, for microbiome labs, when you have like the mega spore, right, which is like the spore based um, probiotic, um, that's something that now research is turning towards more and more because of just how effective it is. It's staying through. So it's not, yeah. it's not something that that's dying in, in your, um, in your digestive tract, but it's staying there and it's doing the work. Right. And it's, it's helping you reseed your gut and, and a lo- fixing a lot of the imbalances and the, the dysbiosis that we spoke about um, in children, which kind of affects a lot of their health conditions. So whether it's autism or ADHD or other behavior issues, whether it's even things that you don't really see um, from a very like gut symptom specific. So whether it's eczema or, or asthma or allergies, like, you know, things like that that might not show up. Um, mm-hmm. How is something like a spore-based probiotic um, different than the others? Yeah, you know, when when we started looking at what would be an effective probiotic in in our in our estimation, um, one of the first things we did is you know un- try to understand where do humans get their exposure to microbes, right? What is your natural exposure to microbes um, throughout your life? Because prior to there ever being the first probiotic humans were living on this earth with microbes and getting exposed to microbes. And clearly based on all the microbiome uh, effects that we have in the symbiosis we have with the microbiome, we've clearly developed a very intimate relationship with bacteria, right? And, and that is really the, the crux of how we started looking at probiotics. Because when you look at how the vast majority of probiotics are formulated, right? You take, you take a given product that has 50 billion CFUs per day, and let's say 10, 15, 20 strains of lactobacillus bifidobacteria. And let's say they've done something fancy, like they've tried to wrap it in some sort of seaweed or special capsule and this and that. Where does that occur in nature? right? Where for the vast majority of human evolution did our ancestors get exposure to bacteria in this manner, right? And if, and if they haven't, then it's not a natural exposure to microbes. And because microbes can be so impactful on our health, it becomes quite arrogant for us to assume that this unusual and unnatural exposure is beneficial to the host, right? We don't know that. You know, we don't know that taking 200 billion CFUs of a random selection of of 15 different strains is beneficial, right? We don't know that that won't have long-term consequences. In fact, a couple of studies have been published over the last two years showing that those kind of what I call kitchen sink formulas, right, where they just throw a whole bunch of strains and a really high dose can actually be detrimental to your microbiome because those strains, if they survive through, will actually compete with your own endogenous bacteria, right? So so most probiotics have been developed with that kind of hubris and arrogance that somehow we know what is actually good for the gut. And somehow this weird artificial way of exposing our system to bacteria is beneficial. So we didn't want to go that route at all. We said, what is a more natural way that we get exposed to microbes? And of course, that comes from the environment, right? As a species, we've lived within the natural environment for millions of years. We gain lots of exposure to bacteria in the natural environment. And we started honing in on which microbes within the natural environment can actually act as a probiotic, because the step one in acting as a probiotic is it has to survive through this really harsh environment, right? 
if it cannot survive through the harsh environment, then by nature, it's not designed to function as a probiotic. It's just dead bacteria moving through, right? So that's when we honed in on the, the bacillus endospores because they are ubiquitous in nature. They're everywhere. Everyone who's outside and spends time outside gets exposure to them to a certain degree, assuming you are in a good natural environment, like going into your car, driving to your office building is not going to get you exposure to it, right? Um, but humans throughout the course of evolution who lived off the land and uh, like all our ancestors, they all got huge amounts of exposure to these organisms. And as it turns out, these organisms have special natural characteristics that allow them to survive through this gauntlet that's designed to kill bacteria. Right. So right off the bat, we said, OK, nature has allowed these organisms to survive through, whereas it kills 99 percent of all other organisms. So there must be something special about these organisms. Let's see what they do in the system when they get in. Right. And so as we started investigating this, we come to find out that these spores have been used as prescription products to fight off gut infections since 1952 in Europe and Latin America and other parts of the world. So clearly they've, they've been well established to be able to go into the gut and protect the host from infection in the gut, right? Foodborne illnesses, waterborne illnesses and so on. So that's right off the bat told us, okay, these are really beneficial functional microbes in the gut. What else do they do? So we started digging into it and it comes to, we come to find out through our research and information that we've published that they seal up leaky gut. They increase the expression of tight junction proteins, which are the really important proteins to seal up the leakiness in the gut. They will compete with problematic organisms like opportunistic bacteria and so on. And then they'll produce compounds to enhance the growth of your really beneficial organisms, right? So opposite from those kitchen sink type of probiotics that actually can compete with your good bacteria and cause your good bacteria to, to actually be diminished, these actually dramatically enhance the growth of all of your beneficial bacteria because they suppress the non-beneficial and then they produce compounds to increase the growth of the beneficial bacteria. And then they're cleaning up the household. They reduce inflammatory responses in the gut. They upregulate the immune system through the gut. So they do all of these amazing housekeeping things within the gut to fix the gut and then they leave after a couple of weeks, right? So we developed this unique symbiotic relationship with these organisms that are present in the natural environment where we said, we're gonna give you a home temporarily, but your job is to clean up the home when you're there. And then you're gonna leave after a couple of weeks and spread around, right? So that's the nature of the spores, which makes them so amazingly beneficial and we were just smart enough to understand that we should look at nature rather than trying to outsmart nature with all of this nonsense that a lot of other companies are doing. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, for, for kids that have a lot of um, chronic conditions, that it really is going directly into the gut and, and helping correct a lot of the imbalances that are there. So it's going and it's correcting the leaky gut. It's helping improve the the dysbiosis, right? It's, it's yep. helping improve just the conditions of their gut conditions that, and, and for kids with say autism or mm -hmm. with, with behavior issues or other chronic conditions, one of their main problems always stems from their gut and just 
you know, just having this imbalance in their gut. And so just something like a a spore-based probiotic has so many, um, so many great things to offer as just to start off with. Absolutely. We can give we can give your audience just one example of that. And there's lots of these examples, but one example to really grab onto. There's there there's a set of compounds that are produced in the gut called short chain fatty acids, right? Butyrate, propionate, acetate, and so on. Let's just take butyrate, for example, right? Butyrate is a short chain fatty acid that's produced by bacteria in your gut from digesting uh, fermentable carbohydrates, right? Resistant starches, prebiotics, and so on. Butyrate plays such an important role in so many systems in the body. To begin with, in the gut itself, butyrate dramatically brings down inflammatory responses in the lining of the gut. Butyrate is also responsible for stimulating the rebuilding of the lining of the gut so you don't end up having this leakiness in the gut and massive inflammation. Butyrate also brings down inflammatory responses throughout the rest of the body. It has a systemic anti-inflammatory response. Butyrate is really responsible for blood sugar control and metabolic control, that feeling of satiety, the ability to reduce your blood sugar as needed so you don't have these crazy spikes, and also the ability to remain insulin uh, sensitive rather than insulin resistant, right? Butyrate also helps the body burn fat. It triggers all of the fat burning mechanisms within the body so that you can actually have a healthy metabolism that burns fat for fuel for the most part and doesn't store it. Butyrate also impacts muscle development, right? Butyrate can reduce inflammation for the brain. So it does all of these amazing things. So when you add in the spore, spore-based probiotics, as we published in a paper in 2019, it increases butyrate production in the gut by 150 percent, right? So you've got this massive increase of this really critical compound that controls so many mechanisms in the body. So that's just one tiny example of the impact that the right type of bacteria when taken as a probiotic can have on your overall outcome. And as you can imagine, as I talk through all the functions of butyrate, that's not just important for a developing child and a baby. That's hugely important for mom, dad, and everyone else in the household as well. Right. So it becomes, again, a family affair. Everybody should be focusing on improving their microbiome because a healthy community microbiome really provides the best outcomes for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, it's the more the more you talk about this, it makes me more and more excited to try to bring these to this region so that more and more people can get access and can benefit, because just as um, you know, there is an, an, an increase in chronic conditions in this region as well, right? We have kids who are born with this increased total load on them. So whether it's mm-hmm. in their environment, whether it's from, um, from just mom's um, dysbiotic gut, you know, or other things, it's just, we need to find avenues to address that and to help support um, those kids here. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm so thankful for you to take your time out today. And, you know, to share all of this, where can listeners get more information about you about microbiome labs about your supplements? Yeah, so um, please come visit us at microbiome labs with an s.com. Uh, we've got lots of information on our website for education, webinars, presentations, and so on. Of course, there's lots of product information on there as well. So you can understand the, the ver- various uh, products that, that are available 
um, to improve your microbiome. And even if you can't get access to all the products, you'll at least learn about ingredients within the product that can have an impact on your microbiome in a positive way. Um, I do a lot of interviews and lectures and education. So if you put my name, for example, in YouTube, if you put Karen Krishnan, you'll find hundreds upon hundreds of interviews on very specific topics that I've done around the microbiome. Uh, and of course, if you're on social media, feel free to look me up. I try to engage with people as much as I can to help provide them direction. I don't give them medical advice or anything. I'm not your doctor, but I'm happy to provide you direction in ways that you could be looking at things or things you should be talking to your doctor about, right? As it comes, as it relates to the microbiome. So um, look me up on social media under Karen Krishnan. I think you'll find um, lots of information there. And of course, uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to do, um, you know, interviews and conversations like this, because at the end of the day, to me, the future of health and wellness is really empowering people with knowledge that they can use, that they can start doing tomorrow. In a lot of the things we talked about today, they can start putting in effect tomorrow, which will improve their outcomes, their child's outcome, their family's outcomes, and so on. And lots of it is free stuff, right? The things that won't cost you anything. And then on top of that, if you can have a probiotic that's really going to enhance the outcomes, then it makes it makes life a little bit more convenient and easy. So, um, so thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about this. No, thank you. And I think we're just so um, lucky and blessed to have you giving us all of your, um, you know, the, all the information, all the research um, and sharing that with us. So thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.